1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. mobilecom The 2024 presidential race is coming into focus. But are the candidates physically and mentally up to the task?
2: I will say running for president, It's unimaginable when it comes to a toll on a person's mind and body. But some people are built for it. Some people have been doing it so long that it's second nature. Why
1: isn't there an upper age limit when it comes to U.S. presidents? And do we need one? This is The Daily J. I'm Zach Clark. On Tuesday... 80-year-old President Joe Biden announced he'd run for re-election in 2024. He'll be 86 when he leaves office if he wins a second term. Former President Donald Trump is also in the race. He's 76 now and would be 82 at term's end if elected. There is an age limit on the lower side to being president. 35. It's in the Constitution. But an upper number? That was left out by the founding fathers. The next voice you'll hear belongs to Michael McDaniel. He's a former brigadier general and current constitutional law professor at Cooley Law School.
3: If you follow the thought of originalism at all, when the framers and then, of course, the ratifiers accepted these minimal qualifications for president, 35 years of age, resident of the United States, residency requirement, because like the first eight presidents, I think, weren't born in the United States. That was all that they put in there. No upper limits, no other requirements whatsoever. And that's huge because my reference to originalism is this, Zach. If the framers and ratifiers suggested and then adopted a specific number, a very precise standard, then they are presumed to be aware of the fact that they could have put an upper limit to age, and they declined to do so.
1: Michael says the founders and framers of our Constitution thought the voters should decide on who should be president, not an upper arbitrary age limit. But this isn't some little thing. The stakes here in this election, they could not be higher, especially in our current climate.
0: Internationally, the conflict in Ukraine, worried about China or countries like North Korea. And so, you know, there's a lot of international stakes and diplomacy are high. And domestically, the economy worried about things like raising the the debt ceiling and, you know, other important things. And so it's uh, it's a really tough job. And just being in general, kind of the president ages you, and so there's even more concern about what that just kind of does to anyone given the, the long hours, all the, the amount of work that, that goes into it, the travel. Uh, president Biden just came back from multi-day trip to Ireland and you know, travels all around the world, so the stakes are high.
1: That right there is Aaron Call. He's the director of debate at the University of Michigan. This conversation about age, it's not new. Back in the mid-80s, there were questions about Ronald Reagan's mental fitness going into his second term. He was 73 on Inauguration Day, younger than both Biden and Trump. Is it just because of these two men, or is it because we've had the same kind of person be president for really the last, I don't know, 30 years? Yeah, I think all those factors
0: are correct. Social media plays a you know, part in it. I remember during the 2016 campaign, there was the episode where Hillary Clinton kind of passed out in the heat at a campaign event, and there was, you know, a lot of scrutiny over that and her health and ability to be president before people's gaps and their stumbles weren't as public as they are now, just given the media and social media and things like that. But yes, as you mentioned, there's a lot of older politicians, Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa, Senator Dianne Feinstein, California, and others, and... Several are healthy, but others have had absences, which have hurt the work of the Senate.
1: I have never run for office. Well, not since the Romeo High School Student Council elections of 2002. But Darcy McConnell, she's a longtime political advisor here in southeastern Michigan, and she's also run for office. For Darcy, regardless if you're the candidate or the advisor, it is a grind. In addition to working on campaigns, I actually ran for office once, and
3: one day I think I had, oh, 16,000 steps <laughs> so, from, from knocking doors. So physically there's a toll, mentally, uh, especially if people are, are attacking you, You know, certainly everybody that is not involved with the campaign believes they've got the best approach and they're an expert. So it can take its toll physically and mentally. But I also feel like there's some degree of when you're in it, you may not appreciate how tired you are
1: until it's over. Just like Darcy, Jermaine Dickens has worked on campaigns in Metro Detroit for years. These days, he's the principal of Compass Strategies, a public affairs firm. Jermaine told me working on campaigns, it is not a job. When we talk about jobs that we do, usually we do jobs over long periods of time, but these campaigns are hyper focused. Can you describe what it's like to be mid campaign?
2: Yeah. So a campaign, first of all, is not a job, it's a lifestyle. When you sign up for a campaign, whether you're the candidate or the campaign manager, you know, this is what you live, eat, sleep drink from the time you're on it until election day. There's really, truly no stop to it. There's so many moving pieces that take place and then there's so many opportunities for things to go wrong because now you're in the people business and people are the most unpredictable source there is in life. So, you know, you have to hinge the entire campaign on something that's the least reliable and spend however many months consecutively all day, all night, doing it.
1: This conversation is about age, right? Well, Jermaine says it really shouldn't be.
2: You know, you really can't assign an age as to whether a person is fit for this or not because I've seen candidates much older than me that I couldn't keep up with. So it's always about an individual case here. I will say running for president is unimaginable when it comes to a toll on a person's mind and body. Uh, But some people are built for it. Uh, And some people have been doing it so long that it's second nature. They can't even imagine another way of life. So, yes, it truly does have a toll on the mind and the body. um, But you really can't associate that with age. It's all about the person.
1: So what do we do with all of this information? The average age here in America is 38. That's half the age of the current front-running presidential candidates. Could rising frustrations from younger voters about the age of the candidate pave way for a third-party candidate? For Aaron, who directs debate at the University of Michigan, he's not counting on that.
0: Generally, younger voters are a little bit more you know, disillusioned and cynical and, and don't see candidates that represent them and see it as kind of a bad binary choice. And every cycle we talk about the potential of a third party candidate to emerge. You know, there's this group called No Labels that's trying to get some candidates on the ballots. There's been talk of people like Joe Manchin and other centrists maybe running in that spot. I haven't had a you know, real serious one since Ross Perot. Or- If this dissatisfaction with the candidates and the option continues, I think that could become more likely. But depending on who that candidate is and what party they represent, that could be real uh, tough for the other candidates. So if former President Trump doesn't win the nomination and decides to run as a third party candidate, then I would almost ensure that uh, Joe Biden wins again because he would siphon off support from Republicans. If someone like Joe Manchin, a centrist Democrat, ran, that would likely hurt President Biden and, and make it likely the Republican would win.
1: Should candidates have to prove mental acuity? Professor McDaniel from Cooley Law says that kind of thing, it already exists. Should there be some kind of mental fitness that's required, or at least a disclosure of some kind of health record? I'm wondering if there's other ways to fix the issue that we're talking about other than just an age limit.
3: Yeah, that is why I am a strong supporter of the presidential debates. Just a simple rally. You can pretty much cover up anything else. But when you have an open forum debate, And I know many of them are too scripted, but I think that's the best way to see somebody's mental abilities when they're sort of in that debate format for 90 or 120 minutes. There has to be some form of competition, and I'm using competition in a very loose sense, Zach, some sort of competition other than just the presidential
1: campaign. There is nothing new about being disillusioned by the folks running the government. In fact, this country was founded on that concept. Maybe this conversation isn't about age, but leadership should reflect the citizen population, right? So I guess that means it's up to each one of us to decide what that actually looks like. Today's big thanks go to Aaron Call, Michael McDaniel, Jermaine Dickens, and Darcy McConnell for speaking with me. Check out wwjnewsradio.com for the top local news stories on demand 24-7. Do you want The Daily J delivered right to you? All you have to do is subscribe using the Odyssey app or get it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Zach Clark and this is The Daily J. Thanks for listening.